Hey, seasoned athletes, I'm Robin Leggett, and this is episode 11 of the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. This is your home for inspiring stories and motivational advice from elite athletes from a wide variety of sports who all share one common bond. They are all over 40 years old. We're here to prove one story at a time that age does not have to prevent you from achieving your bold athletic and fitness goals. To learn more about this podcast and see show notes from this or any episode, visit seasonedathlete.me. And if you like what you hear, I'd love it if you would subscribe, share with your friends, and leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Today in our main interview, we'll be talking to Red Bull cliff diver Ginger Huber. But first, let's get to know this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete. The Everyday Seasoned Athlete segment is where we share firsthand stories from athletes who are over age 40 and represent a wide variety of backgrounds and athletic experience. My hope is that through these stories that these athletes share in their own words, you'll be inspired to get out and try something new. Meet this week's Everyday Seasoned Athlete, John Dombey. My name is John Dombey, and I'm 63 years old, and I am an obstacle course athlete. I compete to give myself goals to strive for and to show others they can do it too. I was raised on a ranch where I was constantly working and just naturally country strong. I did play some group sports, but due to so many hours needed on the ranch, I was unable to dedicate that much time to them. Eventually, I felt the calling to join the Navy, and my intent was to become a Navy SEAL. I trained hard for the three months prior to going in and become very fit and ready to give it a try. Sadly, though, the recruiter wasn't so honest, and by the time they allowed me to try out, they told me I had to add two more years to my enlistment, and I had other obligations that took precedence over that dream. After my four years in the Navy, I went into the Department of Defense as a crane rigger and again was very physical and got into bodybuilding. I was just getting to the competitive level when I went in for a septoplasty operation to breathe better. A week after the packing was removed, I hemorrhaged and lost two quarts of blood before they were able to get an IV into me and bring me back. After a week in the hospital on meds, I had lost over 20 pounds of muscle and the will to bring it all back again. I got married, had kids, and began bringing them into the world of sports. So I got back into coaching and participating with them in these adventures and became very active and fit again. But once they outgrew my level of competency, I became the spectator parent instead of the coach. While I don't regret this, I do regret that I neglected myself and I should have done better with time management. So somewhere in my 50s, I gained 40 extra pounds and my body was feeling like a 90-year-old. My joints and back hurt and I was even concerned that I was going to need a hip replacement. This and other things caused me to also move into some depression, and I was just growing old before my own eyes. Somewhere along the line, I found out about glucosamine supplements and gave it a try. This was the beginning to my recovery since I was now feeling so much better and was actually becoming more mobile again. The real turning point, though, was when my daughter got engaged and set the date for her wedding. So I found sparkpeople.com and their system of tracking helped me to lose 40 pounds in eight months the healthy way. So I looked and felt good when I walked my daughter down the aisle. I then started seeing advertisements about Spartan races and they caught my interest. I had the spark and drive to lose weight and get healthy again and now I found another driving force to push me to continue training and to remain fit. So since then I have continued to do what I can to do better at every race. I rock climb, attend OCR training and boot camps, weight train, trail, hike, and run, and even do body combat and yoga at times. My advice to anyone that is striving to become or remain a seasoned athlete is to never stop. Taking short breaks is fine and changing routines is recommended. 
even slowing down or modifying your plan is okay, but never stop. Like so many things, one stops, it makes it so much harder to restart again. Take it slow, but steady. Find good people with like minds. Find time to do it, and again, never stop. Also have faith in your abilities. My old karate instructor used to say, never say I can't, just say I haven't yet. That saying always goes through my mind when I fail an obstacle or goal. So then I train and practice harder and conquer it the next time. I'm John Dombey, and I am a seasoned athlete. If you're over 40 and compete at a sport at any level and would like to be featured on this show as an everyday seasoned athlete, visit seasonedathlete.me slash everyday and tell me a little bit about yourself. And now let's get to know this week's featured seasoned athlete. Meet Red Bull cliff diver Ginger Huber. Hi, Ginger. Hey there. Are you ready to drop some seasoned athlete knowledge on our listeners today? I'm ready. I will do my best to drop some seasoned knowledge. (laughs) Awesome. I believe in you. You are Ginger Huber, an Orlando-based diver in the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series. You've dedicated your life to diving and have been a nonstop ambassador for the sport through coaching, training, judging, and competing. In 2014, you were featured in the famed ESPN Body Issue, and you continue to show your strength in the sport as you earn your way on to cliff diving and high diving podiums. Is there anything vital personally, professionally, or from your athletic life that you'd like to take a moment to fill in? The first thing that came to mind was just that diving was something that I sort of fell into randomly playing around at my local pool. And it's something that I have never been able to get away from. I I don't want to get away from it. It's my passion. It's my one of my biggest loves. Um, And so that's my that's what I want to say is that I, I just love diving through and through. Well, it's so great that you do because you've made it such a big part of your life. You should always do things that you love as much as you can, right? Yeah. That's one of my favorite quotes. Uh, uh, you know, that company life is good. They say, um, do what you love, love what you do. So I, I love that quote. I do too. And I like that you said that you fell into diving because I'm a fan of puns and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you literally I didn't even fell. Notice. Yeah. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're you're punny and you don't even know it. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, well, from here, I'm going to ask the big question that I ask all of my guests, and that is, what is your age at this moment in time? Right now, I am 42 years old. Awesome. So am I. Oh, great. Yay. So let's start from the beginning. When did you start playing sports, and what did your early athletic life look like? My mom told me that since she can remember, I was always flipping or hanging from something or climbing on something. Um, I remember seeing an article in my scrapbook, my baby scrapbook that she took me to swim lessons at the YMCA when I was six months old, you know, just to kind of get familiar with water. So, I mean, I think maybe I was even doing stuff in her womb. I don't know, but, um, I've pretty much always been doing something. And when I was about five or six, my grandfather bought my brother a trampoline because he was pretty uncoordinated and they wanted to work on building up his muscles. And I was the one that pretty much hogged the trampoline. <laughs> I just bounced and taught myself as much as I could could learn. And so my mom realized, well, let's put her in gymnastics. And um, so I did gymnastics until I was about 13. And um, around that time, it was a big commitment to go to the gym all the time. And I was really kind of tall for a gymnast. I was already 5'7". And, um, it was just, it was hard. It was, it was a lot of work and I wasn't enjoying it. And so I decided, mom, I'm going to take the summer off. I'm going to hang out in the pool with my friends. And the pool had a diving board and 
you know, my friends were crazy and jumping off and flipping and twisting. And so that's what I, I started doing and I loved it and found out there was a dive program in my city. And so I joined and, and I ended up taking, putting more commitment and time into diving than I did as at gymnastics, but cause I loved it, you know, that's where I wanted to be. So I guess that's pretty much a bit of my background. Um, after when I started diving at the age of 14, I uh, got a scholarship to the University of Georgia to dive collegiately. And then after college, I started performing in dive shows through various entertainment companies. And uh, that's kind of where I started to learn how to high dive. And what made you, you talked about how much you love diving, you instantly love diving, and you loved it more than gymnastics. What what was it about diving that made you fall in love with it? I, I've never been able to pinpoint that specific question. I've asked myself so many times, you know, <laughs> what is it specifically? But I think that initially it was the challenge. Um, I just picked it up very quickly. So the progress of how much I learned happened fast. And, you know, that's really rewarding when you see fast results and, you know, the challenge of, Hey, can I do this? And okay, I learned that. Now can I learn something even harder? And you see some of the older kids who are doing harder tricks and you're like, I want to be able to do that. And then when you are able to do that, you're like, well, then maybe I can do even more. And so, um, sort of addicting and, and just trying to, um, you know, see how much you can accomplish. Yeah. So it's like a combination of your fast adaptation to the sport and how well, how quickly you took to it and just the level of escalating challenge. That's exciting. Yeah. And I don't know, it is physically a hard sport, but it wasn't as difficult physically, uh, physical wise as gymnastics was for me. Uh, diving, I was able to, I don't know. I just had more of the body for a diver or for diving than I think I did for gymnastics. So I guess that was, that helped too, that, you know, I already had an acrobatic background, but it was just, my body was a little more suited for diving. Yeah. So it ended up just being a nice fit for you. I think so. One other thing that comes to mind is that, um, my grandfather was sort of legendary for being the most beautiful diver in the city. And, um, so I don't know. It was always that in the background that he had the prettiest swan dive, you know, and he didn't really dive, you know, competitively. He just dove at the lake off of a little springboard. But, you know, that was in the back of my mind. My grandfather was a diver, you know. Oh, it's so cool. <laughs> yeah. And they say that people are genetically predisposed to certain sports. So there may be something to that. Could be. Yeah. So you mentioned that you got into the show diving and performing um, and that led you into the high diving. and that then led you into cliff diving. So can you talk about the different styles of diving that you do and what the differences are between those different types of diving? Sure. Up until about 2013, anything above 10 meters was considered um, competitive diving, like sanctioned through FINA. And I don't know if you know who FINA is, but I don't. Okay. FINA is kind of like, you know what FIFA is for soccer? Sure, yes. Oh, okay, FINA is that for all aquatic sports. So it's like a, a governing body. Governing body for all aquatic sports, yes. So in 2013, uh, FINA sanctioned the sport of high diving. Um, so prior to that, it wasn't really a sanctioned sport, and it was sort of considered like uh, uh, kind of like an extreme sport or maybe even sort of just, you know, backyard sort of circus kind of, you know, nothing really taken ever too seriously. 
almost like a recreational sport. Yeah. Uh, 2013 was a pivotal moment for high diving when FINA sanctioned it because then it became, you know, in the world's eyes, something that's official or legit. You know what I mean? Because yeah. Red Bull had picked up cliff diving, which is essentially the same as high diving. Just but, outside. Well, um, FINA, all the events are outside too. It's just that Red Bull can have more variables. That you might actually dive off of a real cliff there. Or you may not have, you, you, the height may vary by a few meters. Whereas FINA does a really good job to keep it very standardized at exactly 20 meters and with still water, you know, it's, yeah. um, yeah. Cause you can't sanction nature. Right. Right. So that would be the big difference between cliff diving. Cause you'll hear cliff diving and you'll hear high diving. Technically they're the same thing. There's just a different word, but I guess with the slight variations that the high diving is really structured and not to say Red Bull's not structured because they're very safe and they're very structured, but they like to bring in different elements to make it more extreme because I mean, Red Bull, that is an extreme uh, company. Yes. That is the brand. Yeah. Okay. So there's those two types of divings. I'm kind of going from, from present back backwards. So that's what I do now. I compete on cliff diving and high diving. And prior to that, I did, you know, show diving, which consists of all different levels. And it can consist of diving off of springboards, off of platforms, off of towers, off of Russian swings, off of trapeze bars. I mean, it can just, it can be anything, whatever the show wants. So I've done all different types of diving from different heights there. And then prior to that, I was diving in college and in high school. And there I only focused on mostly one meter and three meter springboard. And I did do a little bit of platform, but I really didn't like it. So that platform would be like 10 meters. And, um, even in college, when I was a much more experienced or seasoned diver at that point, I still didn't really like competing on 10 meters. And I pretty much only did the most of my platform diving for competition sake. Like I might practice right before competition. (laughs) That was it. My, my priority, my specialty was springboard. I was much better on springboard in college than I was on platform. So what would you say is your favorite type of diving? If you even have a favorite. Ooh, that's a tough decision. It's like choosing between your children, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess I'll just, I usually like to go the first thing that pops into my mind. And, um, for about eight years, I did, um, diving off of a Russian swing into water. And that was probably my favorite type of diving. Once you get the technique and figure it out, it is a very enjoyable experience and it's dangerous, but it doesn't, it's different types of dangers than high diving. You still get pushed pretty high in the air. You can still go 40 or 50 feet, but you get a lot of momentum from the push and it makes the diving a lot. Uh, it's just kind of effortless. So you can enjoy the flying and flipping and and without having to, you know, muscle your way through all of it. So it's, it's, I don't know if you know what Russian swing is, but, um, it's a lot of fun. I'm in, I'm envisioning something, but I don't know if I'm envisioning it correctly. So can you explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, Russian swing, it, it's in a lot of Cirque du Soleil shows. If you've seen, O. I've not seen that one, but I know a lot of people probably have. Yeah. It's in, O. it's also, um, in the really um, popular show in Macau at the House of Dancing Water. They have Russian Swing there. 
it's on the swing is on an A-frame, and then you have like coming down from the A-frame, you have like a platform that you stand on, and the diver stands on the end facing the water, and then you have multiple people or one person behind you that you push, and it just kind of swings back and forth like a pendulum. And at the right time, and you, after you give the right command, you can get a huge amount of energy from the swing and the pushers and you fly off and do whatever tricks you want and then land in the water. That sounds really cool. It's really cool. It is, it, it is extremely dangerous. If your timing's off, you can hurt yourself and the people you're with. And yeah. But once you learn to appreciate it and you learn to be safe and learn the timing and, and uh, oh yeah, it's, <laughs> it can be a lot of fun. It sounds like it's all about the precision and the timing. Just like you have to nail it at a certain time, right? Yeah. Um, timing is the most important thing on Russian Swing. And it's interesting because you can have uh, people who you know, big, huge, muscular guys who you would think would be really good pushers, but they have horrible timing and they wind up like, you know, being terrible at it. But then you get some of the little scrawny guys who just have incredible timing. And when you connect with them and, you know, if your timing's with their timing, then, you know, they, they can work just as big as a, a big beefy guy can. Yeah. And it must be so interesting to do a dive, which is primarily a solo sport most often, but have to rely on a team to make the dive work. Yeah, um, that I never really, I mean, I thought about it, but I never thought about it that way. So yeah, it kind of can become not just a solo sport. It, it can be a teamwork. It is teamwork yeah. for sure. Yeah. And you, you really rely on them. Like you're doing the dives, but everybody has to work together to make it successful. Yeah. Your dive isn't going to be successful if they don't do their part. So yeah. yeah, it's really interesting just to hear about it. Cause I know many people listening have probably seen a Cirque du Soleil show or seen a water show or seen something that might've involved a swing like that and really never thought about it because the point when you see the show is for it to be flawless and effortless, but to hear about what goes into it, at least to me, is really interesting. Yeah. Um, there. Now that I've mentioned it to you, you'll probably notice it. I mean, there. I think Verakai still has it in its show. Um, so there are other shows that do it as well. Or you could just YouTube it and you'll find some 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 good stuff. Yeah. So go watch some videos and be amazed by the work that goes into this beautiful, effortless dive. Yeah. It really is a lot harder than it looks. <laughs> I'm sure all of them are. Like true. everything we everything. talk about when you see diving in, in the Olympics or watch cliff diving, like it, it, I'm sure it is so much harder than it looks, but the point is for it to look easy. Exactly. This is a good moment to move into the Red Bull cliff diving uh, world series. So tell me about that. What is it? How did it get started and how did you end up getting involved? Okay. So the Red Bull cliff diving series started with the men and they started about, um, gosh, when did they start? I, I don't know exactly which year they started, but I want to say 2007, they started the World Series. Um, and I think they did competitions and stuff before that. But um, that's when it sort of took off as an event happening every year at all these different locations and there would be a winner and whatever. So around and every year they try and add something new. So around 2013, they're like, hey, let's try and add the women. And so um, they posted it on their Facebook page or their web page or whatever, looking for, you know, female cliff divers to compete at this competition. And so I was doing this TV show and the show was called Splash. And one of the, we were just doing stunts kind of fillers because um, it was a live show. And so we would do the stuff that was happening right before the commercial or coming back from commercials, you know, stuff like that, just to kind of keep some action going with the diving. It was a diving based show. 
Okay, so <laughs> one of the girls who was actually doing the stunts with me, she saw this post from Red Bull, and she goes, hey, did, did you see that post? And right around that same time, I'm like, yeah. And we'd both gotten emails from them, too. I guess someone had recommended us. And she goes, what do you think? I go, oh, there's there's no way. I'm not doing it. I hadn't high dove in maybe five years, maybe four years. But even since then, it was maybe just once in like 10 years. And, you know, it was just random. I hadn't really done a whole lot of it in a long time. And um, she goes, yeah, yeah, I, I can't do it either. And then she brought it back up again. <laughs> you know, she kept just bringing it back up. It was really kind of on her mind. And she goes, you know, uh, we, you know, it, we could, we could just enter. It wouldn't hurt to just enter and see what happens. And I was like, well, that's true. And so she's like, okay, I'll enter if you enter. And so we entered our, we submitted our stuff online and the next day it was just posted on Facebook. Here's our, our women that we're going to bring. And so our names were up there. We're like, wait, they didn't even they didn't even contact you? No, no. I mean, I guess they thought, well, if you're submitting, then you're really going for it. And our attitude was like, well, it doesn't hurt just to see what happens. Yeah. There's no way they're choosing us. Like this is never going to happen. Yeah. And so we were just like, well, it looks like we're going to do it. And so, um, it was great that I had her and uh, I think that she had me because, you know, we just really, uh, were able to, cause she had never gone from that height before. And I think I had only gone from that height a few times and it had been years ago. And, um, so we kind of leaned on each other a lot for support for that first competition, especially. And, um, you know, she's still doing it today too. Um, we both are, and we're, we still <laughs> have fond memories of, Hey, I'll do it. If you do it. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> right. But you're just daring each other. It's like, ah, eh. pretty much. But now that I know her a little bit better, if, if I had known her at the time, I would have known like, just by the way she kept bringing it up, that it was something that she, that it was eating her up not to, to do it. So, and it sounds like it was good that she had you because she almost needed somebody to do this with. And she may yeah. not have done it on her own. And you definitely wouldn't have done it on your own. Exactly. Because of each other, I think, is why we're <laughs> doing it today. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> things are just meant to be the way they are. So I believe that, too. Yeah. So it, it worked out the way it was meant to work out. Yeah. And so tell me about that first competition. What was that like? Ooh, oh, my gosh. Um, it was incredible. Um, but it was exhausting because... I couldn't eat. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> My mind was all over the place. You know, I was so stressed out. I hadn't been that high. How high is it for that one? That was 66 feet. And we, uh, my friend who I was referring to, Tara, we had actually been able to get to somewhere that was close to about 50, 55, somewhere around there. So we got to go up a little bit higher than the normal before the competition. So that helped tremendously, but still, you know, that's still 10 plus more feet. And once you start getting up a little bit higher, I mean, yeah, it's only 10 more feet, but your speed starts increasing and the impact is harder. And so, you know, we, <laughs> we were just both same. I remember going to eat with her and her parents were there and she's, she's like a little, she's very fit, but she's just a rail. I mean, she is, um, just, small bone, small, she's just slender, you know, she's just small framed. And her dad goes, Tara, well, I've never seen you not eat, you know, normally you're stuffing your face. And, and she and I looked at each other and was like, I just, 
I can't. <laughs> there was just so much adrenaline and nerves and, and it just no appetite and our mind, you know, just, just jittery. And so, um, I look back on that now because now I <laughs> like, Oh, I really need to eat before I go dive. And, uh, can I sleep a little bit longer? And I, and I, I mean, it's not exactly like that, but I have learned to deal with that side of, um, going to these competitions a lot better, but anyway, so the, that first competition, it was great. I mean, we were diving off of a castle in Italy, um, in in the Alps. So, I mean, can you imagine like (laughs) a prettier place? Oh my goodness. And I, I, it sounds to me based on the preliminary research that I did that the cliff diving world series that Red Bull does, they purposely take you to some really cool and interesting places, right? Oh Yeah. Yeah, that's a real perk of doing the Red Bull tour is you, I mean, I've been to places that I never would have just, hey, you know what, let's, let's just go to um, Norway to dive into this fjord, you know, where it's freezing cold, you know, I would never have picked to do that. But I reflect back on that and think, wow, what a beautiful place it was. And I, I don't know if I ever would have seen Norway otherwise. Yeah. Cause it's just, you know, some, pe- you know, eventually some people who travel a lot, they run out of places to go and then they start picking places they haven't been. But first place picks for people aren't Norway. Not necessarily. Or, yeah. Not, yeah, not necessarily. Or, um, there was some, the islands off of Portugal, the Azores, I'd never even really heard of them until Red Bull started diving there. So, you know, again, a incredibly beautiful place, but just not a place that's really advertised very much. And, you know, I didn't learn about it in geography right? <laughs> in school, you know, and so I'm like, where are we going? Oh, wow. Well, again, not somewhere I would have been my first choice if I had been saving up all year to go on vacation, you know? Right. So yeah, really cool and usually pretty remote places. Yeah. And probably incredibly picturesque. Very. Yeah. I think that's part of it too. Yeah. And, and what a just unique way to see the world. Yeah. So I want to go back. You mentioned something really briefly, but it actually was on my mind. You talked about the nerves that you had going into those early Red Bull dives and, and how the you know, thinking about how things could go wrong. And I watched a video that you were in where you said that when you hit the water the wrong way in a dive, it can feel like a 65 mile an hour car crash. And, Mm -hmm. and yet, you know, it's, it's just a moment between a successful dive and a car crash dive. So what techniques do you use to ensure that your dive is successful and not a 65 mile an hour car crash? Well, (laughs) yeah. Um, I'm sure everyone, has their own little thing. But, um, me personally, first of all, diving, you know, it's a physical sport, but more than anything, it's a mental sport. I mean, you have to really be able to do the dive in the preparations and everything in your head before, especially for high diving, before you take it up that high, because if you can't do it in your head, then really, I mean, your mind is going to be what controls you. So, in my opinion, I, I won't do anything until I can see it in my head and see it successfully in my head over and over and over. So that's one thing that I, I really try to do is a lot of visual imagery. And I learned about that um, in college towards the latter half of my career. I had a sports psychologist I talked to, and he talked a lot with me about visualization because I could do the dives perfectly fine in practice. But then when I went to competition, you know, I'm all over the place. And so, um, we worked with the visualizing and that helped me a lot. And, um, so 
you know, it's just a, a, another way to also boost your confidence. Like, okay, well, if I can see it in my mind, then I can do it. You know, you just have to believe that because you have to believe in yourself. You know, no one else is going to, or I mean, they might, but they're not going to do the dive for you. So you have to really be mentally strong and mentally confident before you jump off of or flip off of something that high. Because, yeah, the the risks are, they're really great if you don't know what you're doing. I really like what you said, especially because I, I tell this to clients all the time. I talk to people about training for sports, training for obstacle races, training to overcome obstacles that are difficult. And what I've learned over and over again is if you could practice it all day, but if you don't believe you can do it, you're not going to do it. Yeah. Plain and simple. And so that often is the hardest thing to train is, is the ability to fully and completely and a hundred percent believe that you can. But once you do, it's a game changer. It really is. And that's one thing I appreciate a lot about getting older is realizing, you know, what works for me now and what didn't work for me in the past. And, oh man, I wish when I was in college, I knew, you know, and most everyone does, but I wish I, I believed in myself more then, you know, or knew what I knew now. And I think I would have had a much better collegiate career and I'm always so impressed with young kids and maybe not even young kids, because I think the young, young kids, they just, they don't, they're not even thinking about anything. They're just doing what they have learned, you know? But, you know, when you get into your teenage years and your early twenties, I think that's where your mind can really mess with you a lot. And when I see the successful divers around that age, I'm so impressed because I'm just like, how did they figure that out at that age? You know, that's like really, really smart of them or, or their coach or someone really prepped them well, because it's something that I've found. I just, I'm a slow learner, I guess, but it took me a long time to figure out how to get mentally into my head and, and prepare for high dives and competitions and stuff like that. And I think early on, or, or at least, you know, as, as we were growing up, I, I don't know if mental training was really as much a part of that, that type of physical education. And maybe it is a little more now. I don't know, but perhaps, but I think our generation, not as much, and we've had to come into it a little bit later. Yeah. And so we kind of fighting, fighting that hurdle to get over. But once you do, it's, it can be magical. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that it was something practice. It's more, more recent thing, a little after maybe our uh, younger days. So aside from practicing diving, aside from working on your mental game, what types of cross training do you find comes in handy for this sport? So I used to love to run. I have a family full of runners. Um, my brother, he's actually a, I'll put it loosely, a professional runner. I mean, he runs for a track club and they fly him to places and he make wins some prize money, you know, so it's professional in a sense. And, um, everyone in my family has run or, or still runs or whatever. And of course I love running and I did it for years and years. And, um, once I started getting into high diving, I found that I needed to stop running was starting to really take a toll on my body. And I don't know if it was the combination of running for years or the impact from the high diving and the running impact or, you know, just whatever. But I also noticed that you know, running builds slow twitch muscles and or long muscles and, you know, diving you really benefit from more fast twitch, shorter muscles. And so I had to give up my love, <laughs> my love for running, but I still will go out a little bit every once in a while. And, you know, just if I, you know, when you run, cause I'm assuming you run 
And, um, you, you know, that, I do. that mental aspect that you need, <laughs> sometimes you just need to do it. So I found a good substitute. I actually, for the last, oh, about two years have been working out at, um, a studio called the bar method, Okay. which is, you know, kind of similar to, there's a lot of different bar. What are the other ones? Bar. Oh, actually there's other bar type classes, Yeah, but this one yeah. specifically is most cities, most cities have them. Yeah. This one is specifically the bar method and, um, it's a great escape. Like I, I get that mental, I get an hour away from my life because <laughs> for me, the class is so challenging. It's a low impact, your own body weight. Um, and actually I never even knew you could get your cardio up just by kind of burning out your muscles like this, but you actually get a cardio and a lot of flexibility, stretching and a lot of toning, but also, um, it really works a lot of little muscles that I never really was able to, I mean, I can make myself work out that way, but it's much easier to go to a class where they tell you to do it. Yeah. (laughs) I've done, I've done a bar workout. I've done them from time to time and I find them, you know, I'm a very active person and I find those workouts to be so incredibly hard because of all the precision movements mm-hmm. that they do. And just working those little muscle movements, mm-hmm. it's like, it's exhausting. Yeah. And it really like you're, you have to focus so much on the technique and just mentally like trying not to stop when your body's shaking so much, you don't know how you're not falling down. And it's kind of a workout for my mind too, because it forces me to focus on that. I can do it, you know, like, and that, that kind of, I think has helped carry over into the high diving. It's like, okay, you know what you, if you can shake your way through an hour class without giving up, you can, you can do this one second dive. <laughs> right. Yeah. This is easy now. <laughs> right. That's a good way of looking at it. Yeah. I like that. I like that. But that's kind of my go-to. I be, I'm a member at the bar method. And so I try and do that, um, yeah, three times a week. Outside of that, I love to ride my bike. I always stretch on my own. It just, I feel better if I do stretch. I foam roll and I stretch on my own just because uh, I've learned that if I don't, I don't feel as good. (laughs) I imagine that comes in handy as you get older too as well. Yeah, foam rolling. Geez, what did we do without Mm. foam rollers? (laughs) Right, because we lived without them for a long time, or at least I did. Yeah, yeah, really. Um, It's kind of like, you know, we didn't really use mental visualization and we didn't use foam rollers. How did we exist? (laughs) Right, the tools that kids have today that they just take for granted, their their iPhones and their (laughs) foam rollers, seriously. I know, I know. So let's take a moment to talk about the ESPN body issue. (laughs) You knew we were going to get to this. Oh yeah. It's the first thing that pops up when you Google my name. (laughs) I imagine that. Yeah. When you reach, it's a a nice milestone to a career. Not everybody gets to be in that. Yeah, that's true. It's one of the reasons I did it. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. It's one of the coolest magazine issues out there. And just the photos that are in it are so beautiful. And for those who don't know, the ESPN body issue features photos of athletes performing the movements of their specific sport in the nude, highly artistic (laughs) and tastefully nude, I should add. Yeah. But the photos are just gorgeous and you just see every line of every muscle and just as, you know, from an athletic standpoint, it's really cool. So can you talk about how you ended up being featured and what it was like to shoot those photos? Well, just let me start off by saying I couldn't agree with you more. Um, It is tastefully done and it is a really cool magazine because they are highlighting athletes' bodies and the muscles that the athlete uses 
specifically for their sport. So it's really cool to see old athletes, super in shape athletes. I mean, I think all the athletes are really in shape, but you just have such a wide variety of bodies, you know, because football players have different bodies than gymnasts do. And, you know, the, a a golfer, you know, has a totally different body than a surfer does. And so I thought it was so cool when I finally realized what the magazine was, what they were trying to do. That was really what inspired me or what gave me the confidence to do it. Because when I first was offered the chance to do the magazine, I didn't know what the magazine was. And um, my media person was saying, hey, you know, this is ESPN. They want to, you know, do the body issue with you. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'd love to. And they're like, well, do you know what the body issue is? And I'm like, no. And they're like, oh, well, the body, and they explained it. You know, but all I heard was nude. (laughs) All I heard was naked. And I was like, immediate red flags, you know, big skull with, you know, X marks. And and I'm like, no. You're seeing a nudie mag in your head. You're like, really? Yeah. Really? It has to be naked? Really? Right. Which is so funny because, I mean, diving, you're wearing like the tightest, like, piece of outfit clothing that you can wear there's you know it doesn't leave much for the imagination anyway right you're probably (laughs) in your sport you're probably wear less than anybody else featured in that magazine yeah and um and I and being in entertainment all these years and having to like do quick changes you know and you have assistants helping you quick change I mean I'm not even shy like you get over it like you just you know you're comfortable and used to it. it's no big deal but I don't know, something about being in a magazine. You know, I just was thinking, like, I don't want it to be like a porn no mag. <laughs> and so they were like, all right, well, you know what? Why don't we send you some copies? We'll send you some previous issues. You know, you can look and see the athletes who've done it and, and what they did and get back to us. And um, so I think <laughs> later that day I saw my husband and he's like, how's your day? I'm like, oh, they asked me to do this magazine. He goes, oh, my gosh, that's great. I'm like, um, no. He goes, yeah. And he was familiar with the magazine. And I was like, I'm not doing it. And he goes, just take a look at the magazine. And so then when I did, and I realized, you know, what it was, my mind changed immediately. And um, so I had a few questions like, hey, um, you know, can I bring, can my husband be there? And they're like, whoever you want can be there. So, you know, I, you know, I wanted to have him there because I felt like then everything, you know, as long as he's okay with it and he's there with me, then that, that helped ease my mind a lot. And then I also knew um, the photographers who did the photo shoot, they are also Red Bull photographers. So I love their work. And I thought maybe it might be better to have a stranger, you know, just, (laughs) but actually it was better to have someone who I was already really comfortable with. They're really cool. They do great work and, um, they're professional. So I'm like, okay, you know, this, this is going to be okay. But the, (laughs) probably the biggest factor that still almost made me not do it was my mom. Um, she's like, you know, your typical older Southern religious woman. And, um, I knew she would find out about it. And so it was something I wanted to talk to her about. And, uh, she goes, Ginger, (laughs) you cannot do that. Think of the, think of the image that you're going to give to young girls who are aspiring to be divers. And I'm like, Oh mom, it's, it's not really like that, you know? And, um, so I kind of just told her like, listen, this is what it's about. And, you know, it's not like a porn magazine. It's, it's high, it's tasteful magazine highlighting the muscles that athletes use, um, in their sport. 
and you know that no body parts were going to be exposed and this that and other and that I was going to do it and I just wanted her to know and hopefully she'll be happy with it if she looks at it and um that did she she did yeah and she you know she and my stepdad were opposed to me doing it and then when it came out the next thing I know (laughs) my stepdad's like introducing me to his friends at church yeah she was in the body magazine They they were really, you know, I think they they realized what the goal of that magazine is. And um, then they started joking around like maybe they should have a body issue for the AARP magazine. <laughs> I can get into right, that. That's right? cool. And so um, it turned out okay. And a few things about the magazine, they, the photographers let me see all the photos that they were going to submit. And if there are any I wasn't happy with, you know. So I, if, if there was something that was too revealing that I didn't like, I had the choice to say no. And then you have to do a posed shot and they wanted something like me draped across, laying across some rocks. And I'm like, no, <laughs> divers don't do that. <laughs> you don't dry yourself no, off on a rock? No. And that doesn't happen? So, um, so that was that. I did it. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I told like the media people, you know, for Red Bull, I've been telling them from the get go, you know, I pretty much will do anything for the sport. Like that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm still in it because I'm trying to help build the sport. And so <laughs> I don't know if that's why they picked me. Cause there's other girls they could have picked. I never found out how I got picked to do it, but regardless, it's definitely something that I'm proud of. And <laughs> yeah, check that one off the bucket list. Right. That is definitely a <laughs> yeah. high level bucket yeah. list item. And I like, I really like that they give you so much input and control yeah. over the photos. Cause I think, and that's probably, a, that probably helps them get a lot of people to do it as well, because it's not only is it tasteful, yeah. it's respectful and they res- they respect the athletes. That yeah. It's, um, it's a cool magazine. It is. So if you haven't seen it, check it out. ESPN body issue. You were in 2014. Yes. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So let's move on to the entirety of your athletic career. Some sort of bigger questions. Can you take us back to your worst, hardest, or most difficult moment in your competitive journey? The first thing that sticks out in my mind is my last competitive collegiate diving meet was to qualify for NCAAs. And I had to do one more dive and all I had to do was just do it without, you know, just average. I just had to do an average dive and I would qualify to, to go to nationals for NCAAs. And, you know, this is the hot, the end of my, at that time I, I competitive career, I didn't know I was going to be competing high diving. And so, you know, um, there again, my mental aspect, I wish I had worked on it more knew better, but I missed the dive. It, it was a very easy dive and I really just held back on it and I missed it. And I missed qualifying for NCAAs by, I don't know, a point or, or something, which something I can't remember the exact total, but, um, in diving, even 15 points can still be pretty close. So one point is like nothing. <laughs> and, you know, it was like, all you had to do was like, just, just go do it. I could do that dive in my sleep. Um, but I messed myself up and that beat me up for a long time, you know, cause that's not how you want to end your career, especially on something so ridiculously easy. What, what do you think is the most important thing you learned from that? To not like let my mind take over what my body can do. You know, all I had to do was just relax and just do it, just do the dive. But I psyched myself up, put so much pressure on myself. And, uh, so 
I mean that, and just, you know, that at the time it seemed like such a huge ordeal, but life goes on and, you know, (laughs) I'm still fine. It wasn't the most traumatic moment of my life and I can laugh about it now because I was really a basket case afterwards. Yeah. It's it's, perspective is a funny thing, but I think I had built it up because it was, you know, the last collegiate meet or, you know, and, and the end of my career and, and I didn't want to stop diving anyways, you know, so it was just emotions and, uh, yeah. yeah. Tough age, early 20s, too, still figuring things out. On the other side, can you tell us about your most successful or favorite moment in your competitive journey? That is so tough. But um, I'm going to go with the first FINA high diving competition that I attended it was in Barcelona in 2013. And, um, you know, I didn't think that I would be competing again like that at that level. And I had already done the Red Bull and I'd done, you know, a few other small little high diving events throughout the years, but I didn't think I would be at a, you know, officially sanctioned FINA diving competition again. It's an international competition and, you know, you're up there in front of a huge crowd. There were people all around and they announced your name and I like had to go do a dive, but I was ready to cry. I was so happy, you know, like when you're super happy, I, I cry at weddings and stuff when I'm really happy and I was like, okay, Ginger, pull it together. (laughs) But I was just so proud that the sport had gotten that far and that I was able to take it there. And I was just enjoying every second of that. So I I think that competition, the whole thing was just um, probably my favorite moment of, of diving. And it's interesting hearing the comparison between your least favorite moment and your most favorite moment. And the least favorite moment, you were kind of wrapped up in your own angst and your own head. And it was all, and then your favorite moment was being able to soak it all in and really just enjoy everything around you. And that there's something to be said for that. And it's funny, you know, like almost 20 years later, when I was younger, I was just thinking about myself. And then 20 years later, I'm like, enjoying the moment with everyone and for everyone and for the sport. And so, yeah, you know, getting old isn't so bad because, you you know, you get to see things differently and you learn things. And um, yeah, I'm glad you pointed that out because I never would have compared those two moments. (laughs) So really, we should all be taking a moment to embrace everything around us and soak in every experience that we're in because that can be a lot more rewarding than being kind of locked in your own anxiety in regards to your performance. So true. So uh, what types of unique challenges or conversely, perhaps even benefits do you find you encounter as an older athlete training and competing at your sport at such a high level? Well, I think I've hinted a little bit about um, the getting older part, the benefits, um, mostly just the better understanding of yourself and knowing what works more for you, like giving up running you know, I, it's, I probably would have pushed through until I needed new knees or something, you know, because that's just, you know, I want to pound the pavement. But, you know, like I realized if I want to keep diving professionally, I need this is probably the best thing for me. You know, you realize you're a little smarter on how to take care of your body, you know, how to, to rest more. You know, you listen to your body more. You're more attuned or I'm more attuned to my body. I definitely know like, oh, that sort of is tweaking my lower back a little bit. Let's stop doing that and stretch, you know, as opposed to when I was 20, Oh, just work through it. <laughs> you'll, yeah. Push you'll through be the fine. pain. So, you know, listening to your body and, and that's true even with dive with my dives where, you know, when I was younger, I used to go to practice and I'd have to practice for two hours 
well, now if I go and it's just not happening that day, I'll just stop because I just know it's not, it's not going to benefit me. It's not going to, it's a waste of time. So if I'm doing, if I'm not in the right mindset or if physically it's just not working for me that day, I'll stop, you know? And I think that's good too, because then you're not practicing bad habits or, or letting yourself get upset when you're not, because sometimes if you don't dive well, you get upset with yourself. And so, you know, there's no point in getting upset with yourself. It's not going to help you. So stuff like that, mental aspects of just understanding myself better um, have really helped um, the older I've gotten. Some other funny things about being an older seasoned athlete is like um, when I first moved here and I started diving at the local pool, you know, I would get there when the team's there, but they're usually doing dry land stuff. And so I would just go ahead and start diving. And <laughs> the lifeguards would come running up, ma'am, ma'am, what are you doing? <laughs> are you part of the team? You can't be up here. And, um, you know, that's kind of funny. You know, I could take it the wrong way and get upset, you know, like, oh, they just see an old woman going up there. But they don't know. They're doing their jobs. And, and it's funny, you know, like, I'm not going to let that bother me. And I imagine every time someone calls you ma'am and tells you to get off the diving board, all you got to do is just show them what you do. And that probably shuts them up. Pretty well, maybe quickly, I should right? just carry around a body issue and be like, check this out. I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. Who you calling ma'am? Yeah. No. And, you know, really, he he was just doing his job. And, and now they they know me a, a little more around there. They've seen my face once or twice. But um, that was so funny. <laughs> What advice would you give to someone around your age who might be listening right now and might be getting a little bit curious about, oh, diving, that sounds interesting, or any sport really, but might be a bit intimidated or scared? What advice would you give to that person? You know, you should give everything a shot. I mean, go for it. You know, if it's something you want to try, don't like let being scared of something new stop you from doing it. Now, I'm not saying go dive off of 20 meter platform, but because no one does that. No one just goes and, you know, we all start off at one meter and work your way up to three meter, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Don't, don't be crazy. Right. Don't be crazy. I mean, you got to be smart about it, but maybe see if there's like a local pool near you that offers a master's diving program and go take a couple of classes, see if you like it. And I, I find that true with anything that you, you see on TV. If you see like paddle yoga, you know, yoga on paddle boards, go try it. <laughs> you know, if you think that's cool, right. just go out there. Don't be afraid of like embarrassing yourself or making a fool of yourself or, or even getting hurt. You know, like most of these places are really safe and you know, today everything has to be safety oriented. So, you know, just go for it. Yeah. And you'll never know if you don't try, like if you don't try, the answer is it's not going to happen. But if you do try, if you give it a shot, you never know what could come of it. You saw that when you applied <laughs> for the Red Bull Cliff Diving World Series. If you hadn't done it, none of this would be My happening My life would right be now. a lot different if I hadn't have done it. Yeah. So give it a shot. If this sounds interesting to you, if this sounds like something you want to try, do some research, check it out in your city, see if there's a master's diving club and give it a shot. But don't, don't go jump off a 20 meter platform, please. So what's next for you in your competitive journey? What, what competitions do you have coming up? We're going to be in Texas in a place, a really cool place. It's called Possum Kingdom. After Texas, we go to Bosnia. And then for the first time, Red Bull is going to Chile 
for the last stop of the World Series. Well, you let me know if you need an assistant <laughs> or someone to help carry speedo? your diving clothes. Your Speedo, if that gets too heavy and you need someone to help you, you let me know. I will hop on a plane uh, because I'm just so insanely jealous of all the cool places you get to go and dive off cliffs. Like, that's just the coolest thing. So if you need a Speedo carrier, <laughs> bag carrier, caddy, whatever you would need. I you, will you definitely know let you know. So before we go... Do you have one parting piece of wisdom that you've learned in your competitive journey that you'd like to share with our listeners? That kind of goes back to just the advice that uh, I was giving someone who's interested in maybe trying the sport. Um, just, you know, don't be afraid. I, I, you know, like that's what stopped me from qualifying for NCAAs in my collegiate career was that I was afraid to not do the dive well. Uh, just believe in yourself. Your body's much stronger than you think. And your mind is a good resource and a good tool. So use your mind and, and believe in, in how strong you are physically and mentally. That's perfect. Thank you. If people want to learn more about you or follow you on social media, where can I they do find have you? a web page. It's gingerhuber.com. And I also am on Facebook as Ginger Huber. And I'm on Instagram as Ginger Huber. So <laughs> Just look for Ginger Huber. That's so easy. Thanks yeah, for making it easy on I everybody. Try. And I will put all that into the show notes on uh, seasonedathlete.me as well. So if you missed it, just go on to the website. It'll all be there as well. Well, Ginger, thank you so much for being on the Season Athlete. It's been really cool. Thank to you. Have it's, you here. it's been my pleasure. And thank you for number one, interviewing me and also for doing the podcast that you're doing. I find this topic, uh, well, you know, extremely interesting because we fall into this category, but it's great. You know, like there's a lot of athletes, mature athletes who are still super strong and people don't realize that, you know, age is just a number. So thanks for covering this topic and exposing, you know, those of us who still want to continue down our, our passions and our loves. Oh, you got it. And the pleasure is absolutely mine. I love that you're doing what you love and you love what you're doing. So there, there's my quote again. I love it. And that's a great place to leave it. So we will leave it with that. And Thanks thank a you lot, once Robin. again. Take care. All right, seasoned athletes, before we go, I want to leave you with my top three takeaways from this week's guest, cliff diver, Ginger Huber. Number one, do what you love and love what you do. This could apply to career, but especially applies to hobbies and athletic endeavors and podcasts. Make sure you have something in your life that fuels your soul. Number two, find a partner in crime. Ginger may have never had an opportunity to dive off crazy scenic cliffs around the world if she didn't apply to the Red Bull team with a friend. If you're nervous to start something new on your own, find a friend and dare each other to both do it. Sometimes that's just the nudge you need. And number three, don't let your mind take over what your body can do. Ginger missed one of her easiest dives because her brain got in the way. Believe in yourself, believe in your abilities, and always visualize yourself being successful at what you're trying to achieve. It's absolutely possible for your mind to talk you out of doing what you can do, but it's also possible for your mind to support what you're trying to do. The magic happens when you believe in yourself. Thanks again to the awesome Ginger Huber. If you want to learn more about her, visit her website at gingerhuber.com. Thank you for listening to the Seasoned Athlete Podcast. The music you heard on this episode is from bensound.com. All right, friends, I have a really big favor to ask. I need your help to get the word out about Seasoned Athlete. How can you do that? It's really easy. Just share. 
Share it with your friends, your family, your network, or anyone you think might benefit from the stories told by the incredible athletes featured on this show. Send out an email, share on social media, or sing our praises from the mountaintops. The more you talk about Seasoned Athlete, the more people we can reach, inspire, and motivate through this show. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for your help. And while you're at it, follow us on social, Seasoned Athlete Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. And hey, do you know someone who would make a great guest on this show? Shoot us an email, seasonedathlete at gmail.com and tell us all about them. Or if it's you, tell us all about yourself. Now go out there and embrace your extraordinary, my fellow seasoned athletes, because you know what? You so can.